Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, Sharon presents Part 1 of the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 3. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Seeking Truth. We're doing Luke chapter 3 tonight. Now, maybe you are facing a giant problem, something super gigantic in your life, and maybe it's an impossible situation, or so it seems. I know there's a lot of people in here right now because I've been asked to pray for a lot of different people in here for a lot of different situations. I love the scripture in Luke, for nothing will be impossible with God. The angel Gabriel said it to Mary, nothing will be impossible with God. Last week we talked about blesseds. Remember that? And we said in the Old Testament, there were only two blessed women. Blessed be Jael, Jael most blessed of tent-bearing women, and blessed be Judith. And why were they blessed? Because they're head crushers that saved Israel. There's only one in the New Testament. Only Mary in the entire New Testament is called blessed. And Elizabeth exclaimed with shouts of joy, Anna Phineo, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Because she knew Mary, most blessed, was a head crushing woman. She will fight the powers of evil. She will crush the head with her son. She will cooperate in God's plan. And they will crush together Satan's head. So blessed are you, Mary among all women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. I love that Caravaggio with St. Anne, Mary, Jesus, and and Mary and Jesus have their feet together, crushing the head of the snake. It's Proto-Evangelium, way back Genesis 15, that her offspring, a virgin woman, would crush the head of Satan. So she is blessed, and blessed is the fruit of her womb, Jesus, the true presence of God. And we say that if you're a rosary sayer, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. This is the head-crushing power of the rosary. The rosary is a weapon in your hands. Many of the saints have said it. it is a, it's, a, it's very powerful against spiritual warfare. Why? Because if Satan's head's already been crushed by Jesus, why do we still have a battle going on with Satan? He's gone, right? Done. He was crushed? No? In Revelation 11 and 12, at the end of 11, we see the ark being opened in the tabernacle of God. The temple was opened. The ark of the covenant was seen. There was flashes of lightning, loud noises, peals of thunder, an earthquake, heavy hail, and a great portent appeared in the heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child, and she cried out in pangs of birth, in anguish for delivery. And another portent appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven diadems upon its head. And his tail swept down one third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. That's the fall of Lucifer, right? From the heaven. He will not serve God's plan with full intelligence. This beautiful seraphim angel says, I will not serve. He won't go along with the plan. He's cast down with a third that also make the same decision. Now the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child that he might devour her child the minute she brought it forth. She brought forth a male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Just as Jesse said in his final blessing, house of Judah would have the iron scepter. But Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Jesus ascended. This devil didn't get to eat him up. He didn't get to gobble him up because they duped him on the cross. They crushed his head. Mary was standing right there. Jesus did it. 
But her child, 40 days later, is caught up to the right hand of God in the ascension. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God. John took her to Ephesus, way far away from Jerusalem and everything that was going on there. He takes her to Turkey, where John protected her. It's in the middle of nowhere. Oh, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. He is ticked off. He got duped. He is angry. He is, it is not over yet for him. He is so mad and he knows his time is short. Why? Because the second coming, Jesus is coming again to save the living and the dead. Jesus is coming. We say it every time at mass, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. So Satan knows his time is short. And Revelation says that the dragon was angry with the woman and he went to make war on the rest of her offspring. Guess what, guys? That's us. He goes to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and bear testimony of Jesus. That's us. So we are in warfare. It's a cosmic battle for every soul. He wants every soul. He wants your soul. He wants your children's soul. He wants your grandkids' soul. He wants any soul he can get. He prowls the world seeking the ruin of souls. And so we are in spiritual warfare every day. And St. Paul, we don't have to be afraid. Remember the angel to Mary, be not afraid. Why? Because it's battle. It's a battle. A battle's going to ensue. And St. Paul says in chapter 6 of Ephesians, put on your spiritual armor of God every day. There's just one offensive weapon. What is it? It's in your hands. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. You have a copy right there in your hands. That's your offensive weapon against Satan. The church tells us of another weapon, and it's the rosary. It's oral tradition. But the rosary is just meditating on the life of Christ, the 20 mysteries of his life. The five joyful are all scriptures from Luke, the luminous, the sorrowful, the glorious. They're all found in scripture. So it's a scriptural meditation on the life of Jesus. And we're hailing who? Blessed, the head crushing woman. Blessed are you among women, the creature that we can relate to. And listen to what the saints say about the rosary, because October's the month of the rosary. St. Padre Pio, the rosary is the weapon for these times. Blessed Pope Pius IX said, give me an army saying the rosary and I will conquer the world. Saint Francis de Sales. These are no spiritual slouches here. These are, you know, the greatest method of praying is to pray the rosary. You're meditating on the entire life of Christ. Pope Pius XI, the rosary is a powerful weapon to put the demons to flight and to keep oneself from sin. If you desire peace in your hearts, in your homes, in your country, assemble each evening and recite the rosary. Let not one day pass without saying it, no matter how burdened you may be with the cares and labors. St. Jose Maria Escriva, for those who use their intelligence and their study as a weapon, the rosary is most effective. Because that apparently monotonous way of beseeching Our Lady as children do their mother can destroy every seed of vainglory and pride. I love that one. Satan's number one weapon is pride. That's his number one flaw. Mary's number one weapon is humility. It's her virtue of humility. The lowly will be exalted and the arrogant will be cast down. That's why the lowly get the first announcement that Christ has been born. The lowly out of covenant shepherds out in the field in Bethlehem. They're the first ones to see the face of the Father's mercy. Come, come to Bethlehem and see exalted those of low degree she says in her magnificat he will exalt the lowly the arrogant will be fallen so satan is pride mary's humility she says he has shown strength with his arm he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts and has put down the mighty ones from their throne and exalted those of low degree he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty 
So Satan has fallen from his lofty perch. With full intelligence, he saw God's plan, and he hated it. A creature was going to be higher than him. Mary was going to be highest in heaven over all the saints and angels. The 70 returned with joy. This is only in Luke. And they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. Jesus remembers the day Michael the archangel battled Satan, and he fell like lightning from the sky. Only Luke has it. The battle power of the rosary crushes the head of Satan. Blessed are you among women and blessed, oh, you head-crushing woman. Blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Fulton Sheen says this, the rosary is the book of the blind where souls see and there enact the greatest drama of love the world has ever known. The rosary is the book of the simple, which initiates them into mysteries and knowledge more satisfying than the education of other men. The rosary is the book of the aged, whose eyes close upon the shadow of this world and open on the substance of the next. My mom lives in the memory care unit in a nursing home, and she prays the rosary all day long and all night long. It's a powerful weapon for our family. I'm so thankful. The power of the rosary is beyond description, says Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Now, are there any head-crushing men in the Old Testament? You know, the lowly little one. Who is he? Yeah, David. David's a head crusher. And whose house does Jesus come from? Yeah. Let's look first at Hannah because it's a derivative of Anna, the mother of Mary, and Anna, the old 84-year-old woman in the temple that knew Jesus, the true presence of God, was back in the temple last week. Hannah wanted a baby so bad. She wanted a baby. I want a baby. I want a baby. She prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for a baby. The high priest, Elate, thought she was drunk. He said, you've had too much beer. Even in the Old Testament, they had beer. It says beer on this story. It's a really good craft brew. It's called Temple, Temple 2. They get pregnant. They have a baby. She made a promise. If you give me a baby, Lord, I'll give him back to service. After I wean the baby, I'll take him back to the temple and offer him in service to the temple. This seems to be a common theme, right? Who is her baby? What's his name? Good. You guys are good. Samuel. So when he weans, she takes him back to Eli. Samuel is going to be raised in the temple by Eli. Little Samuel will be big Samuel when he grows up, and he will be the final judge of Israel. The last one, because they had judges, and he's the last one, and Israel wants a king. And they want a king, they want a king, they want a king. And Samuel comes to the Lord, and and the Lord says, Samuel, listen to what the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected. They have rejected me. The Lord is their king. Don't take it personal, Samuel. They hate me, not you. But the people refuse to listen to Samuel. No, we want a king. We want a king. We want to be like the other nations. We want a king to lead us in battle. And, 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 And the Lord told Samuel, tell him everything that's going to happen if they get a king. And he did. But the Lord said, listen to them and give them their king. And so Samuel anoints the first king of Israel, and his name is Saul, and he's a Benjamite, and he's handsome, and, and, but he wasn't the right one. He wasn't a good fit. And the Lord said, I repent, I repent that I've made Saul king, for he has turned his back from following me, and he has not performed my commandments. And the Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to grieve over Saul? I have rejected him as king of Israel. Fill your horn with oil. I'm going to send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, that I have provided for myself a king among my sons. So Samuel goes to Jesse's house. How many sons does Jesse have? Eight. Eight, but there's only seven here. And he goes, is this all you got? There's there's none of these. He said, but this one's really, no, no, no. Do you have anyone else? Well, there's just little David in the field, said Jesse. The youngest, he's keeping the sheep. The lowly one. 
the little one, the one that doesn't matter. Send for him. And uh, we won't sit down till he arrives. So Jesse sent for David, had him brought in, and he was glowing with health and had a fine, handsome appearance and handsome features, as Michelangelo captured, right, in Florence? Yeah. <laughs> then the Lord said to Samuel, rise and anoint him. He is the one. This is him. So Samuel took the horn of oil. He anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day forward, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully among David, even in the Old Testament. It came upon David, the powerful spirit of the Lord. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented Saul. He's still king, but Saul's attendant said to him, see an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants to search for someone who can play the lyre, the harp, because this would soothe you, Saul. He would play this, uh, and, and this evil spirit from God would come out of you and you would feel better. So Saul sent his attendant, find someone who can play well and bring him to me. Oh, I know the one, the son of Jesse of Bethlehem. He knows how to play. He's a brave man, a warrior. He speaks well, and he's a fine looking man too. And the Lord is with him. And Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son, David, who's out with the sheep. And Saul went to Jesse and allow David to remain in my service. I'm very pleased with him. So David would play his harp and he'd pray. He'd pray the Psalms and he'd sing and he'd play his harp and he'd pray to the Lord. And this relieved Saul very much. The Philistines and the Israelites were in war at this time and they had been battling and battling and battling. And the Philistines had a great giant. His name was Goliath of Gath. He was six cubits tall. That's over nine feet. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll go. I'll go, said David. Your servant has killed both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine, he'll just be like one of them, seeing that he has defied the army of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, the same Lord will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So he was not afraid. David knows the battle belongs to the Lord and he is not scared. He is full of of courage, a gift of that Holy Spirit being on him. Saul dresses David up in his own tunic. He puts his own coat of armor on him, his bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened his sword in the tunic. And he said, I don't like these. I can't even move. I can't walk around in these. I'm not used to these. He wanted them off. He said, all I need is my staff. And he chose five smooth stones, five, because it's the number of books of Torah. He took five smooth stones from the wadi, put them in his pouch of his shepherd's bag, took his sling and went to approach the Philistine giant. Meanwhile, the Philistine and his shield is approaching him. He keeps coming closer. He looked David over and he saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come after me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals to eat. And David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the army of Israel, who you have defiled. This day, the Lord will deliver into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. (gasps) David's a head crusher. This very day, I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those who gather here will know that it's not by sword or spear, but by the Lord that saves. The battle belongs to the Lord. And he will give you into my hands. 
As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David quickly ran toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag, he took out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took the Philistine's own sword and drew it from its sheath. He killed him and cut off his head with the sword. And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Now, are you facing a giant problem? Are you facing something gigantic in your life? The battle belongs to the Lord. Surrender and trust the Lord. Is it impossible? Maybe. For the Lord, no, it's not. All things are possible with God. Sarah said, ah, the marvelous things the Lord has done to me. Is anything too marvelous for the Lord? Nothing is impossible with God. Blessed be David, the head crusher, the head crusher of the giant. Blessed be David, the great grandson of Ruth and Boaz. Blessed be David, the son of Jesse. Blessed be the son of David who is yet to come. This isn't the Messiah. This isn't the Messiah. The battle cry of the rosary in connection with David, Paul says that God chose what's weak in the world to shame the strong. The little lowly shepherd boy, and I want to read you, St. John Paul II made Columba Merriman a blessed in 2000, and he has a connection with David in the rosary. Here is an example to help you understand the efficacy of the rosary. You remember the story of David and the vanquished Goliath? What steps did the young Israelite take to overthrow the giant? He struck him in the middle of the forehead with a pebble from the sling. If we regard the Philistine as representing evil and all its powers, heresy, impurity, pride, we can consider the little stones from the sling capable of overthrowing the enemy as symbolizing the office of the rosary. So he's saying your rosary is your sling and the little pebbles are on it. <laughs> you know, and it just takes one and, and it's powerful. It's powerful. Blessed be David. So on October 7th, we'll have Our Lady of the Rosary Feast Day. It's also called Our Lady of Victory, 16th century naval victory, which secured Europe against the Turkey's invasion at the Battle of Lepanto. Military historians have said this, Turkish victory at Lepanto would have been a catastrophe of the first magnitude for Christendom and Europe would have followed a historical trajectory strikingly different from that which was obtained. So the Battle of Lepanto, the military were all praying their rosaries, and it's an incredible story. So if you're facing a giant, giant problem, an impossible situation, just know nothing is impossible for the Lord. Long live the next king of Israel, King David. Blessed be the son of David, whose kingdom will have no end. The son of David is going to save all of Abraham's children. So the people must have wondered, was David the anointed one? Is David the anointing one? Is he the anointed one, the head crusher that we've been waiting for since, since Genesis 3.15? Is this him? Is this the one who's going to crush the head of the, the evil serpent, Goliath? No. Why? He's not born a virgin woman. Remember Isaiah 7.14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a young woman will conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. God saves and it's Mary from the house of David. And the angel gives her the exact prophecy. Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You'll conceive. You'll give birth to a son. You're going to call him Jesus. He's going to be great. He's going to be the son of the most high God. And the Lord's going to give him the throne of who? His father, David. For how long? Forever. So David's kingdom it's not Solomon. It's not his next son because David's kingdom didn't last forever. It became divided right after Solomon. 
And so this kingdom isn't David's that will last forever. So in the genealogies now, Luke has a genealogy and Matthew has a genealogy, and they're quite a bit different. But one commonality is they both claim Jesus to be the son of David. Matthew right off the bat and Luke about in the middle and just one line, the son of David. Not a big deal in Luke's. But in Matthew's gospel, all the way through, he's always pointing to the house of David, Joseph, Jesus' father. Joseph is the son of David. When Jesus does miracles, they say, have mercy on his son of David. Any time he's healing the blind, the dumb, demoniacs, can this be the son of David, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me, son of David. Even when he's going triumphantly into Jerusalem, the crowd is shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna to the son of David. But the chief priests and the scribes saw all the wonderful things that Jesus was doing. They saw the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, and they were indignant. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think of the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. They all knew Messiah had to come from David. Jesus said to them, How is it that David, inspired by the Spirit, calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, till I put thy enemies under thy feet. If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. Hmm. Now Luke's take on it is different than Matthew's. Luke says he will be great. He will be the son of the most high and he will have the throne of his father, David. And then he just has him in the middle, just mixed in the son of David above him, the son of Nathan. Interesting. And throughout Luke's gospel, we see people yelling again, Jesus, son of David. So only Luke and only Matthew of the four gospels provide genealogies. Both genealogies are very theologically different because that author is inspired by God, but he also has a mind and he's going to present his genealogy, what matches with his theology that he's been given by the Holy Spirit. So they're different. The genealogies are theological ideologies. Okay. So let's take Matthew first. Matthew is Jewish and he is speaking to what? A Jewish audience. So he really is concerned the genealogy, the beginnings of Jesus Christ, the genetical history of Jesus Christ. First thing, son of David. Second thing, son of Abraham, even though that's not quite the order, but he wants us to know they've been waiting for a king, waiting for a king. Messiah has to be a king. Messiah has to be from the Davidic line. So he is going to show Jesus to be son of David and son of Abraham. Why Abraham? He's the father of their faith. And remember, Matthew has 14 14, 14, 14 is really important to Matthew. He'll have a group of 14. And this is, you know, 2,000 years of genealogy. He has 14, and the very last line, David became the father of Solomon, whose mother had been the wife of Uriah. Her name's Bathsheba. But shh, don't tell anyone. (laughs) You know, that was the sin when he saw her bathing on the rooftop. Then he has another 14. And at the end of that 14, it starts with Solomon, and it ends with Josiah becoming the father of Yochaniah and his brothers at the time of the Babylonian exile. Then he has another 14, and it's from the Babylonian exile of the one born Jesus who is called Messiah. So it's just screaming 14. And then at the end, he says the total number of generations from Abraham to David is 14. From David to the Babylonian exile, 14. From the Babylonian exile to the Messiah, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14. What is this in Hebrew geometria? Hebrew numerology, numbers always have a meaning, always have a reason. 14 
Every letter in the Hebrew is assigned a number equivalent. So if you spell out David in Hebrew, if you add them up, 14. So what Matthew is doing is screaming to us in secret code. He's screaming to us, David, 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 like a flashing light. David, 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 14, 14, 14. Why three 14s? If we add 14 plus 14 plus 14, what do we get? 42. There's 42 generations listed in Matthew's genealogy. Well, what does that have to do with anything? Why 42? Well, if we go back to Egypt, when Pharaoh finally let Moses and his people go after the death of his firstborn son, he said, get out, go. The 10th plague, go, leave, go. They left in stages because you have 2.5 million people and women and children. And they go in, remember how they would march in their encampments? Remember this? So they're leaving Egypt. And if you go to Numbers 33, there will be a census account of all the encampments, all the stages on the journey. And if you count them up, every single one of them, and I did, how many encampments were there? 42. (laughs) So what is Matthew saying? 42 generations from Abraham to Jesus and 42 encampments from Moses to get into the promised land. So he's saying Jesus is the new David and Jesus is the new Moses, and out of Egypt, I have called my son because he called Moses out of Egypt. And he also will call Jesus out of Egypt when they have to escape to Egypt. And then that will fulfill Hosea 11 out of Egypt. I have called my son. So Jesus is a new Moses and Matthew wants us to know that. So this is part of his theology, David, 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 and Moses, Moses, Moses. And both of them tell us that Jesus is from tribe Judah. And that is the royal line of David. And even after the exile, they come back as an intact tribe, Judah. And Judah, Jesus is described as a member of the lineage of Judah. And in Revelation, we hear both. Then one of the elders said to me, weep not, lo, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of Jesse has conquered so that he can open the scrolls and its seven seals. So it always was believed by the Jews that Messiah, Messiah, the Jewish Messiah will come from the Davidic royal line. It's the Lord's promise that he would have an everlasting throne and it would be one of David's own offspring from his own loin. It's in 2 Samuel 7. He tells it to David and that's the exact message Gabriel gave to Mary. Also, we studied Isaiah last year and he predicts it too, that upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, this time forth and forevermore. Messiah is going to come from the line of David. Jeremiah knew it also. I'm going to cause a righteous branch to spring forth for David. In those days, Judah is going to be saved. Jerusalem will dwell securely. David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. It's a forever kingdom. And in the Psalms, I will not lie down to David. His line shall endure forever, his throne, as long as the sun is before me. So David, David, David. Now, the other Luke, Luke, Luke has a little different story because Matthew is writing a Jew, writing for a Jewish audience. Remember Luke? He is from Syria, Antioch. He's a Gentile. He's Greek. He's a Hellenistic Jew at the best, a convert. He's writing to a more universal audience. That was part one of the Gospel of Luke, chapter three, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.